Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The Kurds are very happy. Turkey is very happy. The United States is very happy. And you know what? Civilization is very happy. Welcome to Weekend Warriors, the foreign affairs podcast that asks what else is happening in the world. I'm S.E. Cup. Turkey has agreed to a temporary ceasefire in Syria after Turkish President Erdogan met with Vice President Pence and Secretary of State Mike Pompeo on Thursday. Pence said the agreement would pause the Turkish advance into northern Syria to allow the withdrawal of Kurdish YPG forces, to which the Turkish foreign minister bluntly replied, this is not a ceasefire. What was clear before the agreement was announced, though, was that President Trump has ceded northern Syria to Turkey and Russia. Russian flags have already been spotted flying over places once held by the United States there. And for the past week, he left our ally in the fight against ISIS, well, high and dry. As a result, Trump was facing the most intense resistance he's ever faced from his own party in Congress. The House of Representatives on Wednesday overwhelmingly approved a resolution opposing his Syria pullback, with just 60 Republicans siding with Trump, 129 Republicans siding against him. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell says he wants the Senate to pass a version that's, quote, even stronger than the House one. Now, in a bid to do damage control domestically, Trump released the shocking letter he sent to Turkish President Erdogan one week ago, urging him, don't be a tough guy and get this done the right and humane way. Erdogan reportedly ignored that request and tossed the letter in the trash and proceeded, as we know, to invade Syria. So what now? This disaster of foreign policy and politics has already devolved into an unmitigated crisis. And in many ways, it might be too late to put the toothpaste back in the tube. But what else can we do? What else do we need to do? both here at home, in Congress, and overseas. Here to discuss the ongoing crisis is CNN Global Affairs Analyst and columnist at The Washington Post, Max Boot. Uh, Welcome, Max. So, you know, Vice President Pence called this 120-hour pause a ceasefire. Turkey says it is not a ceasefire. What is it? What do you make of it? Well, my take, I see, is that this is a very good deal for Turkey, Uh, because basically it's the Trump administration allowing the Turks to achieve their objectives, which are to ethnically cleanse a strip of northern Syria of the Kurds. And this agreement calls for the Kurds to fall back, abandon their homes, abandon their people, uh, or else Turkey has American permission to continue attacking them over the next five days. And no matter what happens, as long as 
the the onus is on the Kurds uh, to resist, uh, Trump will lift his uh, sanctions on Turkey. So basically, you know, Trump is uh, giving Turkey exactly what they want. But I don't think that the ceasefire will actually amount to very much because, of course, we have not actually gotten the agreement from the Syrian Democratic Forces. And they have said that they're not going to abide by it because they're right. not going to give up uh, their homes and their people. And the agreement is really uh, disconnected from reality in multiple ways because it doesn't acknowledge the fact that uh, that the Russians and the and the Syrian army are already within northern Syria, and so they're not affected by this agreement either. So this, you know, like a lot of the things that come out of the Trump administration, especially when it comes to Syria, this is just gibberish. I mean, you know, Trump was tweeting about this is a great day for civilization and it's an amazing deal and all that, but. It's really not a deal at all, uh, and it, it really does nothing to reverse uh, the catastrophe that Trump unleashed by giving Erdogan the green light to invade northern Syria and withdrawing the U.S. forces and betraying our Kurdish allies. Well, yeah, and I mean, I, you know, I, I called it bizarro world, and, and yet uh, Mike Pence, in his press conference announcing this, continued to sound downright bizarre. He seemed to spin this as a U.S. success, that somehow, you know, pausing the slaughter of countless Kurds who are being slaughtered because we, the United States, explicitly allowed it is proof somehow that we're still in control. Do we have any control? Very little. I mean, uh, Trump has given up a very strong hand. I mean, this was actually probably the only real foreign policy success of the Trump administration was defeating ISIS and working with the Kurds and creating this uh, uh, safe, moderate, secular zone in one third of Syria. And all of that has collapsed over the course of the last week and a half. And as you suggested, I don't see any way to really put the toothpaste back in in the tube. Uh, this is already pretty far gone because, you know, where a week ago so ago you had American troops working with their Kurdish allies. Now you have the Turkish army and their very brutal Arab militia proxies. And then you also have the Syrian and Russian forces. And by the way, nobody's talking about this, but when you have the Syrian army moving in, that means you also have the Iranians moving in uh, right. because Iran really dominates the Assad regime. So, uh, you know, Trump has basically turned over northern Syria uh, to two uh, anti-American dictators, Erdogan and Assad. Uh, and U.S. forces have had to abandon their Kurdish allies who now have to look out for themselves. Yeah. And what is this, uh, as you mentioned, Iran? I mean, Iran already has bases, military bases all over Syria. Um, what What is the effect of allowing Russia and, and Iran to take and, and Assad to take um, such a strong to have such a strong presence in this part of of Syria. What what is that? What is the effect of that for us, for America? Well, it's a it's a very good day for enemies and I think a very dark day for America and our allies. Uh, I mean, just imagine how this looks to Israel right. uh, or or for that matter to Saudi Arabia, because, you know, a lot of Trump's appeal to both of those states is that he postures as the guy who stands up to the Iranians. And that's already been exposed to Salo, because even though Trump did exit the nuclear agreement and did impose very tough sanctions on Iran. When Iran struck back, attacked Saudi oil infrastructure, Trump basically did nothing and so signaled weakness in the face of Iranian aggression. And now I think that that signal of weakness 
is, so to speak, stronger than ever. Uh, you know, uh, that's that's the message that's coming out of uh, the way that Trump has handled Syria, that, you know, he wants out of these hotspots and he's willing to turn them over to our enemies who will then entrench themselves there. And you see this week Vladimir Putin taking a victory lap in the Gulf and yeah. Russian, t- Russian TV having a field day with, you know, Russian troops occupying bases that Americans hastily vacated. Uh, it, it just looks like, uh, you know, the death knell for American power in the Middle East. And, you know, maybe that's exaggerated. Maybe we can bounce back. We've certainly had some dark days before. But right now, the situation looks pretty grim from our standpoint. And you can just imagine how uh, people like uh, like Putin are, are are howling with glee right now. Well, you talk about the death knell of American power in the Middle East to someone who would say, great, we don't want any power in the Middle East. We want to we want to turn this entirely over to to regional interests and and get the hell out of there. What do you say? Well, we've tried that before. I mean, remember, uh, President Obama had pretty much that same mindset. He didn't want us to be mired in the Middle East. He pulled out of Iraq in 2011 and a lot of people were happy. What was the consequence of that? It created a power vacuum in the region, which led to the rise of Islamic State, this horrible Mm -hmm. terrorist entity that took over a vast uh, chunk of terrain in Syria and Iraq and slaughtered countless thousands of people, including Christians, including Turkmen and other minorities. The, The Islamic State carried out this genocide. They also attracted terrorists from all over the world that they trained and sent out and then carried out terrorist attacks in places like Europe. So uh, this is not something that the United States can simply turn a blind eye to or, or just say, oh, they can just a bunch of sand there, as Trump said, that they can go play in the sand. No, right. you know, there's some really significant stakes here because, you know, we cannot afford to have uh, Syria or Iraq once again, once again, turned into a staging ground uh, for terrorism, which is what would happen if there is an ISIS revival. And that's something that uh, many experts are now predicting because uh, our campaign against ISIS is now in shambles because we can no longer work with our most effective allies, the Kurds. Well, and Trump says we'll be watching ISIS. What what does that mean? How does that work if we're not if we're not there, if we're not involved, if we have no leverage? What does that mean? We'll be watching ISIS. Well, you know, see, here you're asking a question that I don't think has any real answer. What does Trump mean by X? You know, mm. who the heck knows? I mean, he says so many things. I mean, it's just gibberish. It doesn't mean anything. Uh, he he did this withdrawal without any plan, without any uh, any idea of what comes next, how to safeguard, you know, vital American interests. And this is a catastrophe. Now it's up to uh, the Pentagon and our allies to try to pick up the pieces and to make the best of a very bad situation. And we'll see uh, to what extent they're able to do that. But again, right now, it looks pretty bad, with, especially with all these news stories about ISIS detainees escaping. Mm-hmm. I want to talk to you about safe zones for a second, because people, people like me uh, over the past, you know, gosh, eight years, uh, have been advocating for, for safe zones. And in fact, that's had bipartisan support. I've had I've had Democratic congressmen on, Republican congressmen on uh, to talk about support for safe zones in Syria. And that is an area in which Syrians can return home from camps in Jordan and elsewhere and can live knowing they'll be free from Assad regime and Russian airstrikes, that they can live in peace, that their kids can go to schools and hospitals without worrying that Assad is going to bomb them as as he had as he had targeted um, hospitals and schools elsewhere. Turkey is talking about creating 
safe zones, a safe zone in this strip of northern Syria. Do they mean the same thing that we have meant back here at home? No, I mean, we actually had a safe zone. Uh, that was the Kurdish-controlled area right. of Syria, about one-third of Syria, northern Syria, controlled by, by the Syrian Democratic Forces. Uh, and who, backed yeah, by the they, United States, importantly. And backed by the United States. And these are, the Kurds are very secular. Uh, they're very moderate in, in the context of Middle Eastern politics. Uh, they have women's rights. Uh, you know, they were building up... Uh, you know, uh, a, a, a safe place uh, where, where people, not just Kurds, but Arabs and others could be protected. Now that's collapsed. And Erdogan uh, does not want a quote-unquote safe zone for uh, all civilians. What he wants is basically to do ethnic cleansing of the Kurds and to push them 20 or 30 miles away from the Turkish border. Mm -hmm. And then he wants to re forcibly relocate Syrian refugees who are now in Turkey into this part of northern Syria, whether they want to go there or not. And Erdogan is unleashing uh, not just his own armed forces, but the Free Syrian Army, which now consists of a lot of uh, very disreputable and brutal Arab militias, including many jihadists among them. Mm -hmm. uh, and then on the other side, of course, you have the Syrian army coming in, which is a genocidal organization. I mean, they've carried out horrible, horrible war crimes uh, along with Russia and Iran. So all of these really bad actors are now taking over what was actually in a real safe zone with, in, a, in a burgeoning democracy in, in northern Syria, which has now collapsed. Um, let's go back a minute. Obama's Syria policy, if he had one, um, was patently bad. And, and he admits one of his biggest regrets was, was Syria. His advisors admit one of the things he most regrets was, was Syria. Um, we don't have to relitigate the, the, the mistakes made by that administration. But in comparison, is what Trump did Worse, the same, different, not as bad. You put it in context for me. No, I think what what Trump has done is worse uh, because he's taken a an actual success story, the only real success success story we've seen from the American viewpoint in the eight some years that you've had a civil war in Syria, and he's destroyed that success story. Now, in the case of Obama, you know, I think he made a lot of mistakes. I was critical of him for not doing more to arm the Syrian rebels early on in the war, not declare a no-fly zone, you know, not back up his red line on the mm -hmm. use of chemical weapons. All that stuff, I think, was very bad. But you can understand how Obama was very worried about being drawn into another Iraq-like conflict. And, yeah. you know, uh, that was not an irrational concern. I mean, that, that is something right. to be concerned about. Uh, but the one thing that Obama finally did right uh, in, in the battle against ISIS beginning in 2014, 2015, was to start working with the Kurds. And I think he, he finally settled on a strategy that was very successful, which did not involve sending large numbers of American ground troops to fight ISIS, but rather sending American advisors, sending American enablers, sending American air power to work with indigenous allies, such as the Iraqi armed forces and the Syrian democratic forces in Syria. That strategy actually worked like a charm, and, and, and Trump, to his credit, continued it mm -hmm. in his first you know, 2.5 years in office. And that's what resulted in the defeat of the Islamic State Caliphate. That's what resulted in the creation of this you know, safe, moderate, secular zone in one-third of Syria controlled by the Kurds with the U.S. help. And 
you know, there was no reason that could not continue on. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. Trump makes it seem as if uh, if we had continued backing the Kurds, then we would have been slaughtered by the Turkish army. I mean, that's absurd. Turkey yeah. was not going to fight the United States of America. That's why Erdogan asked for permission from Trump right. before invading northern Syria, because he knows he doesn't want to fire on American troops, because if you fire on American troops, very bad things happen to mm-hmm. you. So that wasn't going to happen. So there was no real reason why Trump couldn't simply continue the status quo and tell the Turks, hey, sorry, we're not going to let you invade northern Syria. We will address your genuine security concerns, but we're not going to allow you to engage in ethnic cleansing of our Kurdish allies. And so at very low cost, I mean, you know, fewer than a thousand U.S. troops in Syria, Trump could have continued this success story. And then for reasons that remain inexplicable, we still don't know why he did this, why he acceded to Erdogan's Sunday night demand uh, to withdraw the U.S. forces and allow this Turkish invasion. There is no good reason for allowing that. So, you know, I think what, what, what Trump has done is worse than Obama because Trump, destroy the success that we'd already enjoyed and for no good reason. Well, for no good reason. And let me just put a finer point on it. Um, Back in December of 2018, he sort of floated this idea of pulling troops out of Kurdish-controlled northern Syria and was rebuked not only by Republican lawmakers, his own, you know, members of his own party, but this is what resulted in the resignations of real real key figures in in this particular conflict, obviously Jim Mattis, but also Brett McGurk, um, left their posts over this perceived willingness, this stated willingness to abandon the Kurds and quit Syria almost a year ago. And yet, knowing that, knowing the reaction this was likely to get among his own Um, party members here at home and maybe even within his own national security apparatus did it anyway. Right. And and the key point here, S.C., is we don't know why he acted as he did. And, you know, we've seen the way that he acted in the case of Ukraine, where he subordinated the national interest to his personal political interest. So we cannot have any confidence that Trump has acted any differently in the case of Turkey and Syria. We don't know what happened. We need to see the transcript of his phone calls with Erdogan, but we can only speculate. I mean, we know that he owns uh, or he derives revenues from a couple of Trump-branded towers in Istanbul. Uh, We know that Putin has been in the middle of this, and Trump is very subservient to to Putin on all sorts of things. Uh, We know that, you know, Trump loves dictators. You know, we just we just have no idea of why he acted in this way. But it's not rational. And I don't I'm not aware of a single uh, uh, policymaker in the Trump administration who advocated what Trump did. Max Boot, uh, thanks so much for joining me and and breaking all of this down. We'll have you back on Weekend Warriors. Always a pleasure to be on with you, Essie. And thank you for listening to Weekend Warriors. I'm Essie Cobb. Tune in next time. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 